I would like uh, for a moment to go to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And I see that it's on the screen as well. So I want to read with you along together this passage, Psalm 103, the entire psalm, as we think about the blessings uh, that we have from God. I want to ask you first of all, though, um, have you ever sat down and actually written out the blessings of your life? the reasons to be thankful, and actually pinned these to paper or perhaps typed them. It's a very special experience, an important experience. That's precisely what Dave, uh, David did uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament in this psalm, Psalm 103. David is the psalmist, and he's writing these words. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west and as far So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I think this is interesting. He remembers we're simply dust. He understands that. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O you his angels, you his mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thank you, David, for writing this. And we can think about all of the joys within our lives as we share that same exact Father, Creator, Sustainer of our lives, uh, Jehovah God. And we go back, uh, we come ahead several generations. And David, of course, um, was uh, one of the leading figures in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So when you look uh, to Luke chapter 2 for the story of, of the birth of Christ, and I think it's interesting that actually today, December the 9th, is almost exactly between Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. So I thought that it was fitting also to think about the greatest gift from heaven to us 
was the birth of Jesus Christ and all that he meant and continues to mean to us. Certainly we don't know exactly what day Christmas Day was, but we have, uh, we have, it's on our calendar and it's a great, great thing to remember. So as David remembered all of the joys of God and all of the blessings straight from God, uh, there is no greater gift actually in this time of giving and receiving gifts than this little child that we learn about in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Caesar Augustus, in the verses before, had a decree that all of the folks that were in uh, the nation would be drawn, drawn to their uh, hometown and uh, that there would be a census. And so David, uh, pardon me, uh, Joseph and Mary um, did exactly that. They went to Bethlehem because they were of the house of David. And uh, there they found... Uh, not much room for them, and, and so they had to uh, bed down for the night, actually in uh, a stable, likely, um, and the baby Jesus was born and laid in a manger. Meanwhile, these shepherds are out doing what shepherds do, and let's take the story from here. Luke 2 and verse 8. And in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And don't you imagine, that would be pretty scary. Dark skies, probably. You're in the, at night, keeping watch over the sheep. It's very possible that these sheep actually uh, were sheep that might be have been tended to to be sacrificed in Jerusalem not far away. It's very possible that these these sheep were uh, not to be living very long and to be sacrificed, possibly. Nevertheless, these shepherds had to take care of them. And an angel appears to them. The glory of the Lord shines around them, and they're filled with great fear. And certainly I would be as well. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Don't fear. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day... In the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. A gift for you and for me. Of course, when, he's, when he mentions in verse 10 uh, that this is a great joy that will be for all the people, absolutely, probably talking about the, the people of Israel, first off. And I believe that, uh, that um, Wes is going to be sharing with us uh, much of uh, the, the understanding of um, how Israel finally had received uh, the blessings from God and through Jesus Christ especially throughout this month as we finish out the year. But this is a gift for you and for me. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the original language, it was something like, he's the Savior, Christ Lord. Is there any higher uh, honor that would be bestowed on any human being, adult, much less a little baby, lying in a manger? Why in the world would the God from above actually come in the form of a child and be laid in a manger? That's one thing. But then he tells the story about this precious, special thing that's occurred just not far away from where these shepherds are. And he tells that story to the lowly shepherds because they were kind of a lowly class 
among the, uh, among the Jews. As a matter of fact, many of the shepherds were not considered really capable of being clean enough to worship in the temple. But just like God does, it's like him, isn't it, to do just this. He sends a messenger, and that's what an angel is. I want to give you guys some good news. Don't be afraid. It's almost like the glory from God you can't help itself but be shining bright. It's not almost like that. It is that. So it's not like he comes in another dark form so these guys are not scared. Sorry, it's the glory of God. <laughs> it's scary. But let me tell you, I got some message, a message for you. And this is for all the people. This is for you, shepherds. Hear this story. And in, the, in, uh, in Bethlehem, the city of David, you'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, likely in Bethlehem, there's many little babies wrapped. Maybe not many, but several, perhaps, little babies in that town, especially since the census was gathering in that town. Swaddling clothes, clothed babies were everywhere, but not one in a manger. And so you can almost see those, those shepherds going and saying, is any babies in a manger around here? Uh, wow, what, what do you mean a manger? Yep, that's what I've been told to look for. And so they certainly do find... Uh, they, they go to the town um, and find Jesus there. That brings us to the next verses. Jesus is God's gift straight from heaven. And so this one angel is uh, um, joined with a great host of angels in verse 13. And suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it's possible that, uh, likely, that at this time in the Roman government, it actually was a time of peace. Augustus Caesar reigned in a time of peace as far as battle between nations. But this is the peace between God and man that the, the host of angels, the army of angels, if you will, are making known here. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We can see that this gift was straight from heaven in its glory and its brilliance to these shepherds, these lowly shepherds. And uh, we note this, that there is a difference between, clearly, earth and heaven. There is no blending There's things of heaven and there's things of earth. And that's kind of underlined here in verse 15. When the angels went away from them on the earth into heaven, the shepherds wondered with one another. So perhaps it got dark again. And, uh, okay, what are we going to do? Let's go check this thing out. Let's go over to Bethlehem. And let's see what what we can learn there. After all, after this message from the angels, I think I would want to know, a little bit about the story as well. Beginning in verse 16 in chapter 2 of Luke, we see, and they went and they made haste and did find Mary and Joseph there and the baby lying in the manger, of course, just like the, the angels had said. And when they saw it, they made known uh, the, the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Up until this time, Mary and Joseph had just given birth. Mary had given birth to a baby, laid him in a manger. Of course, there were some angels involved in both Joseph's um, understanding that the child would be born and Mary. 
So they were nothing, it was not news to them about angels bringing messages. But here these shepherds come and, wow, we were out in the field and, and, and God talked to us and we, he told us to come here. Mary treasured these things up in her heart and she pondered on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So you can, you know that this was uh, an impression on their, uh, on their experience. Now, later in, in Luke chapter 2, we see some uh, times where Mary and Joseph also are kind of marveling at what's going on here within this chapter. By the way, this chapter in Luke is the most extensive uh, rendering, really, of the birth of Christ. And so it's very, uh, very powerful, very interesting to understand this whole thing. Later on in chapter 2, uh, they went into the temple of Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and there they met uh, Simeon, who would not die. He was told he would not die until he found the consolation of Israel. And you know that perhaps daily he was looking uh, at when this might happen and how it might happen. He was promised of God and was a man that had the Holy Spirit. So this is going to happen, and sure enough, Jesus is presented to him, and he sees Jesus there, baby Jesus and mother and father. And in verse 33 it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, about his son Jesus, their son Jesus. And in verse 40, The child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we see the child Jesus growing. And in Jerusalem, um, also an annual experience that they would go for the Feast of the Passover at about age 12. Jesus from birth to 12 now goes into the temple and, of course, spends his time with those uh, scholars and teachers of the law. And we know the story that uh, mom and dad are wondering, where is Jesus as they started back? And about three days later, they find him in the temple talking with and asking some questions, very interested in the things of God. And matter of fact, he said to his, to his mother, you know, did you not know that I need to be in the house of God, to be with God? And again, in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. This young Jesus is growing up to be quite, uh, quite the son. And in verse 51, it says the mother, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So this Jesus that was once in heaven, the host proclaimed, the host of angels proclaimed that he is now in the form of a human on earth, was immediately about impacting people. And of course he grew uh, as uh, human boys and girls do and in wisdom and in stature before God. The gift from God, from heaven, can be summarized, I think, in these things. It's very important to note about this gift and what was Jesus. First of all, he was the Savior and is the Savior. You know, folks, I, you and I need a Savior, don't we? I know I do. But we're not Christians because we think we're good enough to do so. We're really Christians because we know that we're not good enough. And that's a good place to be. That's a humble place to be. Therefore, really, really, really in need of a Savior. Well, those shepherds were told that day, you've got a Savior in this child. 
This day, the Savior has been born. We need a Savior, and we can thank God straight from heaven for this gift. Secondly, Jesus is the Christ, a fulfillment of of prophecy. And for the Jews, that was very, very important. They took to heart the uh, teachings of the Old Testament and the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law and so on. They were told to expect, absolutely expect, a Messiah, the Hebrew word for Christ. The Greek word Christos was to be this fulfillment. And so this little child laying in a manger was both a Savior and he was the Christ and he was and is the Lord as well. What is a Lord? The Lord is a ruler, uh, a master, even a great leader. This is not a Lord, this is the Lord. And as I said earlier, it's kind of understood that Christ and Lord go together. So you might think that Jesus, say it, uh, as Jesus was born um, as a Savior and Christ Lord. Fulfillment of prophecy and Lord above all, without question, without any further comment, this young child and now this uh, older young, young person at age 12 and so on, and through his life, absolutely was Jesus the Savior, the Christ Lord. But I want to share with you one thing also that certainly uh, Mary pondered in her heart these things that she had heard. My child is going to be the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. I think, thirdly, it's important also. Fourthly, uh, to think about Jesus as the perfect role model. And uh, so that, that brings me to one example of him being the perfect role model. Of course, Jesus grew up 12 years old, grew up to be about 30 years old and called into ministry, was baptized, and uh, went about proclaiming uh, all the good news that the shepherds, that the uh, uh, the uh, angels had told about early on. And about 60 years after the birth of Christ, roughly A.D. 60, much has gone on, of course, in these years. The Apostle Paul has, while he didn't walk with Christ, he saw him on the road to Damascus. And he's the writer of this letter while in prison in Rome, likely. He writes to the Philippians. And he wants them to understand the importance of unity He wants them to understand really kind of how to live life. And so I think it's important for us to note in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, let's look at this passage. So if there is any encouragement in Christ and any comfort from his love and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being to be of the same mind, having the same love and being of full accord and of one mind. In essence, Paul is really saying, let's be unified, guys. You need to be unified. I want us to be unified. He's thanking the Philippians. As a matter of fact, in the book of Philippians, there's not a whole lot of doctrine that's necessarily taught. It's just being thankful for the relationship that the Philippians are to him. In the book of Philippians, also, you won't find any Old Testament quotes. So it's almost the most New Testament book, all things about Jesus and about the fellowship of the church. And Paul writing here, and he says, "In in the church, folks, as Christians, and certainly for all people everywhere, unity is of, of utmost importance. Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter 17. So he says, be of the same 
uh, I, I would love for you to, us to be complete, uh, completing my joy, Paul says, be the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and, and of one mind. Let's think together. Let's think unified. Well, what in the world does that look like? Well, he says, I'll tell you one thing that's not unifying, and that's verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition, conceit, destroys unity. It becomes me and you instead of us and we real quickly. So he says, no, let's not have selfish ambition or conceit, but instead let's have humility and count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, what about this thing called humility? You think that's very important? I believe it's extremely important. David, in the writing of Psalm 103 and many of his psalms, was a humble servant. We learn about David that he was a man after God's own heart. When you search for something that intensely, you reverence it. And, and, and you want to worship God and all things of God, the heart of God. You absolutely want to do that. But in order to get the, the richness of that, I believe we've got to be really, really, really humble. But what in the world does humility look like? What is humble? C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I like that. Because sometimes we think of humility as being, you know, almost like humiliating. Uh, I'm not important. I'm unworthy. I'm, you know, I'm a worm, uh, whatever. Uh, I'm not all that important. But no, because absolutely God says I'm important, I want to praise his name, I want to worship him. And from a position of humility, I believe is the best position of all to garner and bring in the richness of relationship to God. That's exactly what Paul wants those Philippians to understand and to be living out in their lives. So look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Well, just like Paul does oftentimes, he gives us an example. And that brings us to verse 5 of this chapter. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. As we certainly learned, uh, Jesus, uh, as a child, was a human body, a human person. But we learned from the angels that he was much greater than that. Mary and Joseph wouldn't have understood and uh, expected how much impact Jesus would have on the world. But this is one of the greatest ones. In essence, and in form, and in actuality, God decided to say, I'm going to live in an experience that doesn't highlight that, that doesn't even necessarily rely on it. I'm going to be like a human, be a human, 
As the psalmist tells us, to be like a human is kind of like being dust and grass. The psalm we wrote, read earlier, Psalm 103. So I'm going to be dust and grass. I choose to do that, said the Son of God. And he emptied himself. You know, we think about humble people in history. Uh, I think about uh, maybe George Washington, the father of our country. And we know the story of George Washington, the mighty uh, general that really brought many, many victories and was really highly proclaimed and acclaimed by the people of this nation early on in our beginnings. Well, the time came for them to need a leader, and he was the absolute choice by everyone else. He could have become a a king and followed by virtue of his power, by virtue of his uh, victories over the enemy. King Washington. No, we know the story. He gave up his commission as a general to be from among the people and was voted in. Ah, nice humble story. Doesn't hold a light, a candle to the human humility of Jesus Christ and what he gave up for us. And so after he was emptied, he emptied himself. He did, he, I'm not going to grasp this. I'm not going to hold on to this. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So God himself, actually God, came to live among dust and, and grass and be human But not only in his human experience was it just a human, he wasn't even acclaimed and praised or among the people. As a matter of fact, they were on his case all the time because of who he was, largely. He was a servant. And they would see him and say, what are you doing hanging out with all those uh, sinners and and, uh, lowlifes? He might answer, because I'm a servant. He was a servant. Uh, he, um, he was born in the likeness of men, as in certainly the baby Jesus. And being found in human form, he actually did humble himself. So we know that the Son of God absolutely did not think uh, less of himself, but he thought of himself less. And we are, of course, very grateful for that. A great role model. Well, now what? Thanks, God. Thank you, Jesus, uh, God God and man in one. Uh, well, God gets the last word on this. He says, since this went on, of course, the death and death on a cross and from obedience. Let me go with that for a second. As a human, he died, and then he died a death, a cruel death of a criminal on a cross for you and me. We just cannot outdo the humility here. And sometimes do we in our humility sometimes think, I'm a pretty humble person and we get prideful about it. All we need to do is lift our head up and and see what God has done for us and who and what God is. And we'll be in a good position to be humble enough, really humble enough, to soak up this goodness and to find the riches that are there. But Jesus absolutely chose death ultimately and chose death on a cross. Almost as if God is reaching down 
and he's getting his fingernails dirty as he reaches down to us, every single human being, and bringing them along to be with him. Well, as I said, God gets the last word. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Born Savior Christ Lord, lived this life, died on a cross, and God says, welcome back to your former position by virtue of what you've done. And we're thankful, of course, that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God at this time. I just challenge you this morning as we close to remember the valuable position and place that all of us need to keep in mind is this place of being humble. We just finished a study in the book of James not long ago, and one of my favorite verses is in the book of James. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Sometimes we turn that around. If we exalt ourselves before the Lord, yeah, well, he's going to humble you. Almost as if God's the great equalizer. You know, you think you're hot stuff, you know, as Scripture says elsewhere, uh, you know, pride goes before a fall. But if you're not thinking all that much of yourself and, and, and you're humbled by, on purpose or maybe even hurt and, and challenged in how you feel about yourself and the world, he's going to lift you up. But my challenge for us all this morning is to embrace the position of humility. In that position and only in that position, as I think God certainly would have us understand, can, can the richness of God be appreciated? and lived out. So this morning, perhaps you have found and recognized rightly your humble place and my humble place. And now in your humility, perhaps you need to um, submit to God. Romans chapter 6 talks about that if we're buried in Christ, we will raised, be raised to walk in newness of life, much like Jesus was humbled and humbled himself and became exalted by God. Here's your chance to become baptized this morning, if that is your wish. Perhaps you have some prayers that uh, uh, you would like to for our uh, elders to uh, pray on your behalf. That's available in the room in the back. We would love to help you in any way. Will you come while we stand and sing?